and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education, and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now, here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to One Hour at a Time. I'm Mary Woods, and I am the CEO of Westbridge Community Services, and we have a great program today. We're going to be talking with uh, Denise Kearns, who's a registered nurse, and she's a program manager and a treatment care coordinator at Silver Hill Hospital in New Canaan, Connecticut. Miss um, Kearns completed the DBT intensive training program in 1996, and she has practiced uh, dialectical behavioral therapy in an outpatient, inpatient, residential settings. And our and our goal today is to really help people understand about um, personality disorder, which is borderline personality disorder. And uh, a very effective uh, treatment modality for folks who, who experience that. Um, Denise has worked in the mental health field as a case manager and a nurse in New Hampshire and Monadnock Family Services. She's also worked as a nurse at Silver Hill Hospital. She was a member of the consultation team in developing the DBT program and has provided inpatient groups and counseling, which led her to her current position as the program manager at Silver Hill Hospital for their dialectical behavioral therapy program. Uh, welcome, Denise, and thank you for spending this hour with us. Oh, I look forward to it. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what dialectical behavioral therapy is? Uh, yes, um, dialectical behavior therapy was uh, developed by a woman by the name of Marsha Lenihan. Uh, she's a psychology professor out at the um, University of Washington in um, Seattle, Washington. And what she had realized that um, people who suffered with uh, borderline personality disorder um, were um, people who were always in the hospital, um, a lot of uh, people with suicide attempts, parasuicidal behaviors, uh, a lot of self-harm behaviors like cutting, um, having eating disorders, really um, finding they weren't getting any relief, that when they weren't being, uh, felt like they weren't getting the help they needed, they really ended up in the emergency rooms and in the hospitals. Uh, so she was really looking for a treatment that was going to help people that were having a, a hard time regulating their emotions, um, uh, help them have an effective uh, treatment that was going to help decrease their hospitalizations and decrease um, their uh, suicide, suicidal behaviors and parasuicidal behaviors. I know in, in my experience in working with folks who, who experience um, borderline personality disorders, that one of the things that um, we, we would find is that they required a tremendous amount of attention from the clinical team, often to the point where other people on the team wouldn't receive as much attention, people who had more thought disorders or more mood disorders. And so oftentimes within the team, the folks who were experiencing the borderline personality disorder really became somewhat stigmatized and and you always felt like you were putting out fires and never really accomplishing anything. Well, I think what happens is that when people use the word borderline personality disorder, um, it can be something that can frighten people away. Um, a terrible term. They, so unfortunately, that um, when that person gets labeled like that, it can frighten whole treatment teams away um, and uh, so that people may not even be willing to work with somebody with that diagnosis. So with a DBT um, program, which is really focused on helping people who um, are greatly emotionally dysregulated to the point where, so that's the kind of person who is um, 
that you that comes into the office that may yell or scream and really um, uh, push away um, and very be have really kind of dramatic uh, behaviors that makes it frightening for actually uh, other patients, um, other clients um, in the practice, um, and for clinicians themselves. Also, when people um, threaten to kill themselves, it's it's really quite frightening for a treater because they can also feel helpless. So they're, not only does the individual looking for help feels helpless, their treater feels helpless. So DBT is a treatment that is really for um, to support the therapist and to support the client so that everybody can hopefully get their needs met and have a life worth living. Can you give um, our listeners uh, a profile of somebody who would be experiencing, what would be the symptoms of a borderline personality disorder? Um, we, what you may find, people really who have um, a lot of, uh, again, life-threatening behaviors, um, They often their thinking is very negative, a lot of all-or-nothing thinking, um, that they have a lot of suicidal thinking, um, that they engage in a lot of self-injurious behaviors. Um, they may be very aggressive behaviors. Um, um, again, that all-or-nothing thinking is either I love you or I hate you. Um, the, um, the person oftentimes, again, ends up in an emergency room a lot of times. The other thing is that someone is, has uh, a great deal of difficulty with interpersonal relationships. So in being greatly emotionally dysregulated, it may essentially spill out all over everybody in their environment and make people want to run the other way. Or what can happen is that what they, it almost implodes themselves so that they end up isolating. Because after a while, because other people may not want them in the environment, they end up not being able to maintain relationships and jobs or school um, the other things that interfere, a lot of times they'll engage in um, uh, substance abuse. So that's, it's, it's really a very difficult place to live and a very uncomfortable place for someone um, who has borderline personality disorder. And at what age does somebody typically begin to experience this? Well, it, it's it's a um, an essentially an illness that is developed over time. It's a combination of an invalidating environment and essentially a biological predisposition. So, if you're growing up in an environment where there um, you're not being validated, so that your point of view, if you're if you're a um, uh, a, a person who gr- grows up in a family that's neglected you or that you have been physically or sexually abused, um, those are invalidating environments. That kind of an environment can develop a person with borderline personality disorder. Um, so this is something that can start in terms of young age to develop it so that if you only can get attention by having a tantrum, you learn over time that you know that you're better off having a tantrum because someone's got to pay attention to you because otherwise that's you're not going to get attended to. Um, so that's kind of, it can start developing quite an early age depending on your environment. And there is a significant rate of trauma associated with folks with borderline personality disorder as well, isn't there? Uh, yeah. So, for example, people um, who have been either sexually or um, physically abused, um, again, haven't grown up in an environment um, where there have uh, been neglect involved um, that can, can create trauma. One of the other things that happens if people come into treatment, they're not in a place, they don't have the skills to be able to manage um, the emotions that come up around trauma work. So if they come in trying to heal 
their um, their trauma, it's the treatment they're getting essentially may make things worse at first if they don't have the skills to manage the emotions that come up over it. Um, so that's actually when you do a DBT treatment, um, when um, Marshall and Hand developed her treatment, it's, the, it's actually a one-year program where um, you would meet on a weekly basis with your therapist and do a skills group weekly, um, have phone consultation, also your um, DBT therapist sits on a consultation team. And over that period of time, you learn uh, skills in four different areas. Um, and then at the end of that period of time, you and your treater, if you feel like you have a, a good grasp of the skills and are able to generalize them to your life, then that second stage of treatment can begin to work on the essentially post-traumatic stress disorder or the trauma that you've had in your life. And do you primarily see this basically in women or do you see this in men as well? Actually, when I first started doing um, this work in New Hampshire, all the women, uh, all the people on are in our uh, in our program um, were women, and then we did start to um, allow men in the program. Um, and what we've actually found here at Silver Hill Hospital is that we have a, f a lot of men who come into our program. When we started the program here two years ago, just to let you at, at Silver Hill Hospital, we're a uh, a small psychiatric hospital in New Canaan, Connecticut. Um, it's a very unique place because we have acute care unit, we have a dual diagnosis inpatient unit, we have an adolescent and a, a substance abuse unit. And in addition to that, we also have a residential program. So essentially, we can introduce people here at the hospital to DBT inpatient, and then we um, have developed an intensive 28-day program to uh, essentially immerse someone in a foreign language program, if, if you want to call it that, in DBT language to get them um, a jump start so that when we um, hopefully integrate them back to the community that they can um, start work with a, a DBT team in the community and um, begin the, you know, continue that healing process that they start here. Um, Is there a screening instrument that you use for to be able to determine who would best fit this, this type of treatment? Um, I know Marsha Lenahan, she has developed uh, screening tools. Um, the program, the outpatient program that I worked in New Hampshire, we did apply a screening tool. Um, what, what we have found here at the hospital over time is that in addition to helping people with borderline personality disorder, that it, it really can help. It's really a treatment to help people with emotion dysregulation and that there's a lot of areas of people's lives that that affects. So in addition to people with borderline personality disorder, it helps people that um, have eating disorders, uh, uh, people who have relapsed many times with substance abuse, people who are suffering from depression. So um, here at the hospital, what we do is we find if a person has had, um, essentially if they've had problems with managing their emotions, that they've engaged in a lot of uh, self-harm behaviors, which could be, again, actually going so far as to have tried to kill themselves or um, there's some of the self-injurious behaviors like cutting or burning, um, again, the eating disordered behaviors, um, engaging in substance abuse um, uh, problems with interpersonal relationships, that any people in that 
kind of those categories can really benefit from learning skills um, in order to be able to regulate their emotions and to be able to tolerate the distress in their life um, and also to hopefully improve their interpersonal relationships. Um, actually, um, my husband has always teased me. He just he he and I have talked about that this is something that probably should be introduced in junior high and be part of everybody's school curriculum because there are skills that everyone could use because I know that myself, I use them in my daily life and I my life is definitely as much better quality since I've been using DBT. Yeah. Um, one of the things you just mentioned was uh, language, being immersed in a foreign language. And, and I know from what I've learned about dialectical behavioral therapy is that language is so important because um, one of the basic things that I've learned is that, that folks that experience this are doing the best they can with the skills that they have to work with. And that's such a powerful reframing from these are people that are just coming in to make my day miserable, you know, that um, it's really they're doing the best they have with what they have to work with. That's true. Um when again, when Marshall Lenihan looked at what the therapies were out there, the cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a wonderful treatment, and DBT actually is a combination of using cognitive behavioral therapy um, along, which is uh, the change strategies along with acceptance. So there's a lot of emphasis on validation, um, really acknowledging um, where a person is, so noting that you are doing the best that you can and that you could do better. So when people were pushed with a cognitive behavioral therapy only to change and the push was on change, people were like, but, but, I'm, but I can't do it. I'm trying to tell you I can't do it. So when you start to balance the change with acceptance, which is validating where you are, um, then that's a much more effective way to help these people be able to get through and have a life worth living. Okay. And we'll be right back to learn more about DBT um, after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-Occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. If you're looking for a better way to clean the air in your home or office, you need the all-new ozone light. It's as simple as changing your light bulbs. The ozone light looks like a normal spiral type of light bulb. It screws in most standard light sockets, but it's not a normal light bulb. It's coated with titanium dioxide. It's completely safe, but this unique coating kills most airborne bacteria, mold spores, and neutralizes odors. Just one light cleans the air in an entire room and lasts eight times longer than the normal light bulb. If you have smokers, if you have allergies, if you have pet odors, mold, or mildew, you need the ozone light. It will wipe them out, and you have our word. If you're not satisfied with the way the ozone light cleans the air in your home, simply return it for a full refund. Here's the number to call to order. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. Save up to $100 now. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259.
A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Our guest today is Denise Kearns, a registered nurse who is a dialectical behavioral therapy program manager and a treatment care coordinator at Silver Hill Hospital in New Canaan, Connecticut. Uh, during our last segment, um, Denise was telling us about dialectical behavioral therapy and the profile of someone who may um, be experiencing borderline personality disorder. And in this segment, Denise, could you maybe talk about um, interpersonal effectiveness and share with our listeners what someone may be experiencing in the throes of their their, uh, borderline personality disorder, the ineffective ways they have of of using this, and then what they would learn in this module and then how they may use it afterward. Sure. Um, Essentially, problems with interpersonal effectiveness when we all as human beings have to have um, interactions with other people. Um, and so, for example, if someone in, oftentimes we see people who in a work situation end up maybe getting fired from a job because of their explosiveness um, in, in work um, so that if they're um, having a problem um, with their boss um, that they don't use effective strategies to communicate um, that they're having difficulty at work so that they may explode. And then that's a a behavior that's not going to be tolerated in a workplace. Um, Not only does it scare people, uh, it's just not conducive to work. So people oftentimes end up losing jobs, which, of course, is going to affect their families. So then they come home and say they've lost their job, and then that could be another blow up there and then have problems in the relationship. So in one of the modules, uh, you know, DBT, um, there's it's, it's taught in four modules. Um, one of the modules is interpersonal effectiveness, and um, how it's taught essentially is it's developed. Uh, excuse me, divided into three separate areas. One of them is called objective effectiveness, and that is about you know how to get. Um, your needs met in a particular moment. Um, in, the, in a work situation, it may be that you're the kind of person that always said, yes, I'm going to do this and I will do that, and then you become so overwhelmed that that day that you got fired was that you became so overwhelmed because you always said yes that you, you blew up at your boss. So in um, objective effectiveness, you, know, you would learn how to be able to um, describe to your boss exactly how you were feeling, that you were overwhelmed, that you felt like you really couldn't take on any other you know, any other task in that particular moment. So that um, Marshall Lenihan is very, very fond of using acronyms. So actually the acronym for um, the objective effectiveness is called Dear Man. It's simply a technique to help people to very quickly access and to remember what they need to um, to do in that situation. So just for example, this Dear Man is really made up. The Dear is about being able to describe to another person exactly what all the facts are in the situation, express how you feel about it, um, be very clear um, in, in how you, you do this so that when you go and you speak to your boss that you use clear language that they that there really isn't going to be um, 
you know, that person isn't a mind reader so that when you describe and express it, it's clear. And then there's um, about reinforcement, the R. You know, what is it that you're going to be able to um, offer to your your boss that's going to um, increase the likelihood that they're going to be able to hear that you're feeling overwhelmed and you really can't take on another task? Um, so those are the that's, – that's one of the techniques that's actually been very effective the, using these acronyms to help people um, to remember to actually be, use the skills. Um, the second um, piece of objective effectiveness is is about um, maintaining relationship. If you you know decide that you want to keep that relationship, so like in a work environment, you know you have to be able to have a working relationship with your boss or your peers, so that the skills that you use for that is you know how do you be able to keep the communication open? Um, and the last part is really about self-respect effectiveness. You know how do you want to feel about yourself? What you know your own values, your own beliefs. System, you know, so if you're constantly being asked to do things and uh, it, it's it's going against what your beliefs are, you after a while your self-esteem starts to um, to erode and makes it really difficult to to function. So um, interpersonal effectiveness skills um, teach you ways to be able to um, enhance your relationships and hopefully, you know, keep 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 your job and be able to keep your relationships going at home and um, with your with your uh, friends. And so um, another module would be um, mindfulness. Right. Mindfulness, in fact, um, you know, what I tell the people in my groups here, because um, we do it a little bit differently at Silver Hill Hospital, in a typical outpatient program, like a year-long program, the way they may set it up is that you would do, say, six weeks of a, like, say, that interpersonal effectiveness, and then you would do two weeks of mindfulness, and then you would get into another module, and then you would repeat, repeat the mindfulness. Mindfulness is really that which kind of weaves all of the skills together because essentially you can't do any of these skills without being mindful. So it's really living life with intention and full awareness, you know, so that, um, you know, for example, a person with an eating disorder, um, if they are a binge eater and that all of a sudden they realize that, you know, they've got all these, you know, empty boxes around them and they have no memory of actually eating it, um, the mindfulness is a very um, effective tool to bring awareness to doing one thing in the moment and being mindful um, of, of actually eating, that when you're eating, um, eating something, you're just eating that, that you're not doing something else, that you're, you're not eating your thoughts, essentially. In fact, Marsha Linehan um, uses, um, took a lot of her material from Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a Vietnamese Buddhist monk who lives in uh, France, um, and um, took his mindfulness um, uh, practices and, and integrated that. And one of the exercises I'll often do in our groups, because we start each group with a mindfulness activity uh, is I'll actually have people, you know, eat tangerines and mindfully eat a tangerine, um, you know, and uh, Thich Nhat Hanh has a beautiful um, uh, passage in his book, Miracle of Mindfulness, about eating mindfully a tangerine. Um, so when you're actually living in the moment, it's about um, being mindful of the present moment um, and not living in the past and not living in the future. 
Now, it doesn't mean that you can't learn from the past um, and plan for the future. Um, as a society, we it, we would not exist if if we were only to just wake up every day and say, okay, I'm just going to do whatever. You know, we we, would, we need to, you know, uh, uh, plan and, and take care of our lives. We need to know, um, be able to, uh, you know, pay our bills and all that. On the other hand, um, a lot of the problems in life come when you uh, ruminate and worry um, about the past so that it consumes your present moment or you ruminate and worry about the future so that it, again, consumes your present moment and you're not able to attend to that particular moment. So we really focus a lot, um, and DBT does, on being mindful, doing one thing in the moment um, and uh, being able to breathe. Mindfulness is about breathing, <laughs> is being able to notice the breath um, and um, calm the mind, essentially. Um, one of the skills is also called wise mind. Um, a lot of people who have uh, borderline personality disorder or have problems with emotion regulation is that living in emotion mind, um, that yeah, that really difficult place where in your emotion mind, it's a place where it's very difficult to make decisions. Your your um, your problem solving abilities go way down when you're in high emotion. Um, so a wise mind is really looking at trying to balance that uh, uh, your having the emotion um, and also that the reasonable. Uh, place taking reason into account because again people can uh, have all or nothing thinking it's just can also get to that point well forget it I'm not going to do that which sounds very kind of uh, rational but uh, devoid of any emotion you just kind of like nope not going to do it where wise mind is that reason balanced place um, that's a mindful mindful place to be how do people practice these skills they meet once a week during group right well, there's you know there's different there are different um, uh, programs. So in an outpatient program, they would um, meet once a week. Typically, you do a, a homework review group. Um, everybody gets homework, and then the second group is introduction to new materials. Um, and then you work with your uh, individual uh, DBT therapist. Um, and the DBT, the other power of DBT is really that relationship with that therapist. When you go to skills group, you learn your you learn skills, um, and then when you meet with your individual therapist, you and your individual therapist um, look at DBT targets. Um, first, first thing you have to keep you have to stay alive in order to do the therapy. So the first thing when you meet with your individual therapist is if there have been any um, uh, life-threatening behaviors. That's the first target that has to be taken care of, um, and this is done through. Um, and we do this in our program, too, in our intensive 28-day program, is that a person um, does a diary card. They essentially, every week, they track um, on a daily basis what the feelings they're experiencing, and they rate their feelings on a scale of essentially like 0 to 10. That may be the degree that they're to the they're feeling sad or anxious um, or angry, um, also noting times that you're feeling calm or happy. And then you're also going to um, track what urges you may have in terms of you and your therapist have um, identified your um, problem behaviors, looking at, again, the life-threatening ones, um, things that are the next uh, target area of uh, therapy interfering behaviors. Again, if you're not showing up for treatment and you're not doing your homework, that's going to interfere with you, you being able to get a life worth living because you're not fully participating. Then the third area that um, you would work on with your therapist are quality of life interfering behaviors. So again, if you're having difficulty getting to work or to school, having problems in relationships or um, 
if your addiction is at a level where it's not life-threatening, but it's more of a quality of life um, behavior, then that's the area you're going to target. So this is something that you would do um, on a weekly uh, basis, bring that in with your therapist, and from that diary card, um, determine um, what to work on that week. We'll be right back to talk with Denise about the other two modules and about the program of DBT at Silver Hill. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celeste Ranese's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show. For women, men, children, and families, Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, uh, CEO of Westbridge Community Services. We're really having a great show today talking with Denise Kearns about dialectical behavioral therapy. And we have two more modules to talk about, um, distress tolerance being one of them. Um, If you would like to kind of give us a, a kind of a profile of what somebody would be like before they enter the module, what the module is, and then how the mod- they would use the module afterward. Okay. Um, you know, uh, essentially, um, de- depending on, on what um, the different programs that you go into, whether it's an outpatient setting or hospital setting, uh, is that there are the four modules. Um, some programs want you to come in at the beginning of a, a module. Um, so de- depending on what that is, we're going to talk right now about the two remaining ones are distress tolerance and emotion regulation. Um, the distress tolerance module um, is really looking at um, people have had a hard time managing stress, and what happens is that 
to get relief. So these behaviors that, that just um, some people can't quite even imagine that you, you would get to the point where you would feel so bad that, first of all, you would want to end your life um, so that you would do something to actually do that um, or that you would, for example, cut yourself or engage in eating disorder behavior or substance abuse, and most of it really comes from looking for relief. So the distress tolerance skills really look at how do you get through a difficult moment without making it worse um, and hopefully maybe making it a little bit better. So uh, essentially what happens if we all have pain in our lives, um, people who... Um, are really suffer um, are more emotionally sensitive than other people essentially, and so the distress tolerance skills that we teach them are how do you get through a painful moment um, to the point where you don't make it worse because a lot of times what happens is people end up in suffering, so what we say is that pain plus non acceptance of that pain make it really results in suffering so that you end up becoming your depression because you suffer. These are the people who also can end up spending days and days in bed because they just really can't can't function, that they're, they're suffering so deeply. So the ways that we teach distress tolerance skills is their crisis survival strategies, um, looking at ways to distract um, to self-soothe, um, and another one of Marshall Linehan's acronyms is called Improve the Moment. Um, you know, what other things can you do to get through a horrible moment? So, for example, um, with distract, you would be like with activities. Um, so, you know, if, you, if you're a person that um, has hobbies or um, likes to take a walk. Now, when someone's really, really dysregulated and they want to, you know, for example, uh, they get relief from cutting, you know, it, it may not be able to in that moment be able to take a walk. So sometimes one of the suggestions is, for example, with another sensation like an ice cube for example. So a person is not going to hurt you and that little piece of ice may be just enough to kind of get you through that tough moment and then you might be able to say, okay, that took me off down a little bit, now I'm going to go take a walk. So that person then may take a walk and then just say, okay, in this next moment, um, I'm, I'm going to go and uh, clean my house. Um, I know that even, you know, even for... Um, for example, in my own daily life, my uh, my daughter, when she got her driver's license, it was just the most distressing thing for me in the world. It's like she's going to get out there in the road. And I remember the first time her going driving, I was beside myself. I just was having such a hard time tolerating that moment. So for me, you know, I, I said, you know what, i got to use my DBT skills, you know. So I, I did. I gardened for a while, and then I cleaned my stove, and then I took a very, you know, hard walk. And then she came home, and I survived. Um, without the skills, um, you know, you, you end up doing doing some things that just don't feel very comfortable in your body. So, again, we use to, uh, teach distract skills. Um, we look at self-soothe with the five senses. Um, it's just, you know, marvelous when you think of all the wonderful smells out there like, you know, lavender scents. So we're, we're coming into this, the springtime in New England here. Um, we're going to get lilac and lily of the valley. All those kinds of things can help ground somebody um, in terms of with vision, um, with hearing. Um, there's lots of opportunities that you don't have to go too far from to be able to help you get through a particular moment. A lot of people in terms of improve the moment, um, the, uh, the I actually stands for improve. Imagery. So, uh, again, visualization is very powerful for, for people because, again, you, you can be sitting in the middle of a crowded room and feeling a lot of distress but very quickly be able to, to um, come up with an image or visualization that's going to help you get through a tough, 
a tough moment. Um, the other kinds of skills in that particular module is radical acceptance, really being able to say, you know, you know what, I don't like this that's happening to me. So one of the challenges when we teach this actually with radical acceptance is the word acceptance itself is tough because it says, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't like it. I don't want to accept it. It's like, well, how do you get through it and um, not put your stamp of approval on it and acknowledge that you don't like it? On the other hand, the more that you resist reality, it's still going to be there. So radical acceptance is just noting what is and be able to say, okay, this is what the situation is. Now what do I do next? Um, the uh, pros and cons, that's something that, that that's another skill that we teach in terms of uh, being able to kind of notice what are the advantages and disadvantages of engaging in a, in a problem behavior. Um, another area is called um, willingness versus willfulness. Um, uh, so many times that uh, somebody can look... Um, uh, it's very, you know, when you see a little kid and they're, you know, um, on the floor having a tantrum, well, it's very clear that they're being willful. Willfulness, though, can take forms that are not so evident. It can be somebody kind of sitting on their hands and not doing what they need to do in a moment. So it can be very quiet, which might be very difficult for people to recognize that they're being willful because they're not participating in their own life. Willingness is really kind of turning your turning your yourself um, towards the um, Doing whatever you need to do to try to get to try to get through. Um, so those are the the distress tolerance skills. Um, that's a, one of the modules. That's of the so far we've talked about mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness, and distress tolerance. And that's a lot. Yeah. So we have another um, the other the last module is um, emotion regulation. Um, and again, there's all of these. I know that I, when I uh, teach these modules, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's like most things in life. When we try to separate things out, they're not, they're not so neatly separated. A lot of things overlap, like I was saying, mindfulness is really that which kind of weaves everything together. So in the distress tolerance module, we absolutely talk about mindfulness within that, but the emphasis is on the skills that I talked about. In an emotion regulation module, um, emotion regulation is is not about trying to, um, you know, pe- some people have a fear, well, what do you mean you want to regulate my emotions or take away my feelings? That's not what this is all about. It's about how to live in a, in a range that's a little bit more reasonable rather than going off the Richter scale so that your emotions don't flood you so much over the over time so that you're paralyzed. Um, uh, I think I mentioned before that your problem-solving skills pretty much dissolve when you're in a high emotional state. It's very difficult to function when you're highly emotional. Um, and then the other part is that some people um, have reached a point where they don't aren't even able to recognize their emotions. They can't put words to them. They've kind of shut down. So in an emotion regulation module, actually um, look at uh, teaching people, you know, what, what are all the words associated? How do you recognize? How do you name an emotion? What does it feel like? Being able to look at and identifying all the components of emotional experience. Once you can identify the components of emotional experience, those components are the, the areas that are going to help you to be able to affect an emotion so that you can um, live more comfortably. So, for example... Um, one of the areas that we teach is called the please please skill. Again, one of Marshall Linehan's acronyms. Um, being able to look at 
how to make a person more emotionally hardy so that when life happens, when those tsunamis come crashing through your life, how do you survive that tsunami? Um, so that one way to do that is that if you're already in more emotionally hardy before that tsunami comes. So a plea skill looks at, you know, making sure you treat your physical illnesses. Um, you know, go to the doctor when you need to. Looking at what are the barriers that are keeping me from treating my physical illness. Because certainly, I know, I know about you, but when I'm not feeling well, I'm much more sensitive. I'm more apt to be irritable. Um, my energy level is very low. So it's really important to address that. Um, another area of the plea skill is, you know, balanced eating. Um, when a person hasn't been eating properly, absolutely affects how they, how they go, how they uh, do their life. Another one is avoiding mood-altering drugs. So it's not just things like drugs and alcohol. It's looking at caffeine consumption. Um, one of my pet peeves is you go in the, the, the uh, drug stores and you see all these preparations that say, oh, you know, if you're depressed or you're, you're anxious or, you know, take these things. It's so confusing for consumers out there to know what it is that they should or shouldn't take. And those kinds of things, all those things that we add to our bodies are going to affect our mood and ultimately when 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 we have painful experiences or stress in our life is going to impact our emotional re- uh, responses also a large area is sleep so we look at how do you addressing people's sleep patterns how, you know how can you improve the quality of your sleep um, exercise all of those are ways to help you um, regulate your emotion. We also um, talk about um, accumulating positive experiences, um, building mastery, um, you know, in terms of being, being engaged in activities that are somewhat challenging, um, and ways to how to cope ahead. Um, so these are different areas that we work on for emotion regulation. Um, and we'll be right back uh, with more on DBT with Denise Carnes, the Program Director for the DBT Unit at Silver Hill Hospital. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Autism One, a conversation of hope, hosted by Betsy Hicks, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism is treatable, and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, 
Betsy offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism, spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, adult services, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, um, to our last segment on dialectical behavioral therapy. Uh, Denise, can you tell us how effective is our is this uh, form of treatment for folks with borderline personality disorders? Um, it, it can be a very effective uh, treatment. In fact, um, one of the resources for your listeners also could be that Marshall Linehan has a website called behavioraltech.org, uh, and... Um, on that website, there's information on the, on research um, that it's you know evidence-based um, treatment, uh, and it's effective in um, reducing hospitalizations for people, people with borderline personality disorder, or people who have really difficulty regulating their emotions. So that essentially, you know, when you have a difficult feeling, you have paired that difficult feeling with um, problem behaviors uh, such as suicidal thinking or actually engaging in suicide or self-injurious behavior. Um, so that actually being able to um, get this treatment is going to help uh, people eliminate the amount of times they go to uh, emergency rooms or get hospitalized. Because, again, when, when a person has a, presents with life-threatening um, uh, problems, uh, people have to err on the side of caution. So these people end up getting hospitalized a lot. So this treatment can really, when a person becomes committed and engaged in the treatment, um, uh, can actually reduce the number of hospitalizations over time. Um, I'm not sure that I've mentioned that, but once uh, a person um, engages in an outpatient program, the uh, relationship really is with that primary therapist so that um, they know that they have that contact and that, that person that can help them um, navigate um, and hopefully uh, start to um, have a life worth living. Well, and I know one of the uh, significant maybe even diagnostic signs for folks with borderline personality disorder is they're often misdiagnosed and have multiple diagnoses when they present for treatment and multiple hospitalizations with really poor response. And that with DBT, um, people get regular um, treatment, but it's, it's, it's proactive as opposed to reactive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you're, you're right. People oftentimes will get diagnosed with bipolar disorder because, again, they're, they're both um, what, what you see of people with uh, 
huge mood swings so people can can get into a hospital been diagnosed with bipolar disorder being a lot of different medications that essentially aren't working aren't effective because they don't have bipolar disorder they're having other problems with emotion regulation so that um, if they're learning skills so that if you can use a skill in fact what a lot of times we'll say is skills not pills not that medication can't be effective for a lot of different things and help people with depression but again trying to put more of an emphasis on using a skill to get through a difficult moment um, that's that is really the emphasis for DBT and I think the other thing that's important to underline here is that when you learn these new skills you're changing your brain chemistry Absolutely, absolutely. So that when you, um, you know, when you um, when you have a thought uh, or a sad thought or an angry thought, um, that you have a, when you start to repair that new skill. Um, so that instead of um, I have an angry thought, I'm going to take this out of my body. I have an angry thought. Like the mindfulness is I feel angry and what have I done that might help me? And maybe I need to go take that walk. Um, I need to call up a friend and start to pair that and then and then you distance yourself from that problem behavior and get through that moment without having to, to engage in it. Um, can you give us a typical day of uh, the DBT program at Silver Hill for folks who are there inpatient? Um, well, we have... We have um, uh, inpatient units, and we also have the 28-day residential program. And our inpatient units, they, it's more of an introduction to DBT, so depending on the unit, they either have um, one or two or three groups a week, depending on what unit they're on. Um, our the, our main program actually is in our 28-day residential program. Um, again, uh, DBT is works long-term with that relationship with therapists. So our 28-day program is really to help people who have been in an inpatient setting or their life has become so unmanageable that they really makes it difficult to be be home to help them stabilize and hopefully stabilize their mood. So we immerse them in this, you know, 28-day DBT language program more or less um, to um, give them that introduction so that they can leave here having a working knowledge of DBT. Um, we can't give them the intensity of the individual work so that our goal is to um, hopefully transition them smoothly to the community and back home and find them a DBT program where they can develop a relationship with a DBT therapist and do weekly groups when they leave. So here at the hospital, we've divided it, and the, the magic of the 28 days is not like the, is really because there are four modules, and we do a module a week. Um, a person can enter at any any one of the modules, um, they'll come in, and each day um, they start their days out with um, looking at their goals for the day, and actually we spend a lot of time here working on mindfulness. So they do a mindfulness group in the morning. Um, they'll have some uh, free time to do journaling to actually promote some of the, the skills that they need for motion regulations and uh, as far as exercise. They have access to the library to learn more information. They might talk to their doctor or their treatment care coordinator. Coordinator. Then our afternoons are really spent with um, three hours of groups. So they're going to go over their homework. We're going to teach them new skills. Um, each one of these groups, they're going to do a mindfulness exercise. Um, they're going to spend time at the the last part of their afternoon with the treatment care coordinator and other the other folks that person works with, really kind of talking about um, any of the issues that they have going on for them um, uh, while they're at the hospital and as they look towards going home. And in the evening here, they also spend time 
doing their diary card. We have a group, a uh, skills group in the evening where they bring their diary card and they go over, um, you know, what they've been feeling that day, what the urges have been, talking about as a group, what skills they have used. Um, and uh, it's another opportunity to kind of reinforce that. So that's an, an immersion every single day of the week. So at the end of the four-week period of time, um, they have that solid grounding in the skills. Again, it's a beginning um, and uh, it's so that it's just as if I, you know, went to France for uh, a month. I'll have that introduction, but I don't know the nuances of the language, and I haven't integrated completely in my life. I, but I certainly have a good idea what it's what it's like, so that I can go home and start to to actually do more of the intensive work with my individual therapist um, and uh, continue that work on the outside. Um, how would people get in contact with you um, if they wanted to learn more about the program or maybe they had somebody they wanted to refer or they might want to refer themselves? Um, yes, um, they can call me at Silver Hill Hospital. I have a direct line, which is 203-801-2347. Um, I also have a um, an email address, um, and that is dkearns at silverhillhospital.org. Um, the hospital also has an 800 number. They could they could direct. Uh, it's 800-899-4455. Um, and when they call into that number, they could ask for me, Denise Kearns. Um, if they can't remember they, my name, they can ask for the DBT program manager or just to speak to anybody um, in the admissions department about what DBT is. And um, maybe we just spend the last couple minutes talking a little bit about um, DBT and substance abuse or misuse. Um, how is that addressed in DBT? Um, the way we ad address that is, again, um, as a problem behavior, um, so that um, it's kind of almost like in a, a backdoor kind of way when you think of a, because at the hospital we also have um, a chemical dependency and a dual diagnosis track um, in our 28-day program here um, where we actually do some DBT groups in our dual program just to give people an introduction because we really feel that it's um can be so effective in their lives. But in the actual DBT program, we would identify it as a problem behavior so that people starting to be able to notice you know, if they have a feeling of irritability and the urge is to go to drink, that they're tracking that and then at that point being able to identify skills that may help them not follow through with that urge with that particular problem behavior. Um, this is a very compassionate treatment. Um, this is not, you know, not judgment, non-judgmental, so it's being able to recognize for a person that um, was their strategy that they just engaged in, was it effective or non-effective, and what other things could they have done other than to pick up that drink or to to, to use other um, substances that they have in the past. So it, it really... Um, we treat it essentially in the same way. We also here at the hospital, you know, we um, encourage people to have to go to 12-step AA meetings here. We have them here on campus, and that's part of the program, um, which is not part of DBT, but we, we have it wrapped in as part of our program. So it's very comprehensive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's really, I think that's one of the most important things for, um, for folks to understand is that treatment for folks that have borderline personality disorder, it really does, it, it, it really, like we say, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. There are no quick solutions and there's no no easy way to help people develop the skills they need to um, to really enhance their lives. 
No, you're you're absolutely right. This is uh, it's it. Um, person has to be committed. It's a lot of hard work, but the um, benefits are great. You really end up with a life worth living, uh, and your quality of life will improve over time. Uh, and it, it absolutely is It's amazing, actually, what I notice here at the hospital. I'd say between, between day 10 and probably 20, it's almost like having an epiphany, uh, where people really, all of a sudden, it's like a light bulb goes off in the head, and they realize, oh, my gosh, these skills can save my life. And do you know after someone has completed the the modules, are there support groups? Are there ongoing support groups for folks? Um, when they finish the modules um, within their communities, it really varies all over the United States in terms of what the support networks are. Um, there's certainly things like Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, the DBSA, has um, support groups. There's something called TARA. Um, that's a support group for um, people with borderline personality disorder. Um, you know, so there are resources in the in the community. Um, when they're done with the one-year treatment or depending on where they go, then the, the next stage maybe if they decide is to work on post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and that's okay. something that they could work with a the therapist. Right, and using the skills that they've learned during their time with the dialectical behavioral therapy. Thank you so much, Denise, for a very enlightening hour. Um, well, I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Welcome back. And we'll hopefully see everyone else, or you'll, we'll listen to everyone else next week. Have a good week, everybody. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.